Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Great Canadian Gaming Corporation first quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all lines are in the listen-only mode. But following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. And if at any time during the call you find you require assistance, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is recorded on Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. And I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Terence Doyle. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Sylvie. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Great Canadian Gaming Corporation's conference call to review the company's financial results for the first quarter ended March 31st, 2020. Joining me on the call this morning is Rod Baker, the company's Chief Executive Officer, Matt Anthonson, the company's Chief Operating Officer, and John Russo, the company's General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer. I would like to remind listeners that the latter portion of this call is reserved for institutional investors and analysts. Any media-related inquiries can be directed towards Chuck Keeling, Executive Vice President, Stakeholder Relations, and Responsible Gaming. He can be reached at 604-247-4197. Before we begin, I must caution all listeners that this conference call may contain forward-looking statements that reflect management's expectations regarding the company's future. These statements, which will be identified by words such as anticipate, believe, accept, or similar expressions, are based on information currently available to the company. Investors should not place undue reliance upon these statements, which involve significant risk, uncertainties, and assumptions. These statements are made as of the date of this call, and the company assumes no obligation to update or revise them to reflect new events or circumstances. Unless otherwise indicated, all financial information in this call is presented in Canadian dollars and is in accordance with International Financial Reporting Standards, or IFRS. Except for adjusted EBITDA, which is a non-IFRS term defined in the company's MDNA. Unless otherwise noted, all financial information for the comparative period excludes the results of the U.S. region as they have been presented as discontinued operations after Great American Gaming Corporation was sold on June 27, 2019. I will now pass the call to Rod, who will begin with some opening remarks. Matt will then review Great Canadian's financial results and overall operations, and Rod will follow with some commentary on the company's liquidity and outlook. Rod? Thank you, Terrence. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I would like to start off the call by expressing my gratitude to the healthcare workers on the front lines, grocery, transport, and all other essential personnel helping to keep communities running during this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Your dedication and efforts are beyond measure. In these uncertain times, our thoughts are foremost on the health and well-being of our team members, guests, and our community. As part of the company's efforts to contribute to the containment of the pandemic, we temporarily suspended the operations of all of our gaming facilities effective March 16, 2020. In addition to the temporary suspension of our operations, the Government of Ontario mandated the closure of all non-critical construction projects effective April 4, 2020, 
which temporarily halted the remainder of the company's Ontario Capital projects under development. During this call, we will go over our first quarter 2020 results and provide an overview of the operating and financial measures taken by the company in response to the temporary suspension of operations. I'm now going to pass the call to Matt to comment on the financial highlights for the quarter, first quarter of 2020. Matt? Thank you, Rod. The first quarter of 2020 started well. Results were strong until the days leading up to the temporary suspension of operations in response to the pandemic. Great Canadians revenues for the first quarter of 2020 were $273.8 million, a decrease of 10% or $29 million when compared to revenues of $302.8 million in the first quarter of 2019. The decrease was primarily due to the closure of all gaming facilities and ancillary amenities across the country on March 16th, partially offset by improved revenues during the quarter in the period prior to the gaming facility closures. Adjusted EBITDA was $103 million in the first quarter of 2020, which decreased by 6% or $6.3 million when compared to the same period in 2019 due to the above mentioned facility closures, which had a negative impact on revenues. The company took measures to significantly reduce its operating expenses in response to the decline in revenues from the gaming facility closures. Shareholders' net earnings from continuing operations of $19.2 million in the first quarter of 2020 decreased by $11.8 million when compared to the same period in 2019, primarily due to the decrease in adjusted EBITDA, increased business acquisition, restructuring, and other expenses primarily related to pre-opening costs of the Pickering Casino Resort in the GTA and the gain on sale of land that occurred in the first quarter of 2019. Other notable events during the first quarter of 2020 include the issuance of the company's senior unsecured debentures for an aggregate value of $180 million on March 2, 2020, and a subsequent closing of an additional $9 million through the overallotment that closed on April 30, 2020. This has provided the company a diversified financing structure by rebalancing interest rate exposure and varying loan maturity profiles. We note that there was a government-mandated closure of all non-critical construction projects, effective April 4, 2020. The revised timelines for the continuation of the developments will be reassessed once the terms and reopening timing of the government-mandated closures are better understood and workplace conditions can proceed in a safe and appropriate manner. I will now pass the call back to Rod for an update on Outlook. Rod? Thank you, Matt. In response to the closures, the company has made significant operational contractual adjustments that were deemed necessary in response to the pandemic. We reduced and deferred our human resources and property marketing and administration expenses in an effort to minimize its cash outflows during the suspension period. We drew $375 million of cash in our various revolving credit lines before the closure of our sites, combined with the receipt of the $189 million of cash proceeds from the issuance of our unsecured ventures, increasing our cash liquidity position as well as our debt levels on a dollar-for-dollar basis. As at March 31, 2020, the company had a cash balance of $881.9 million 
and $858.9 million of available undrawn credit on its credit facilities, subject to applicable covenants. Furthermore, subsequent to quarter end, the company executed amendments to each of its credit agreements to temporarily waive certain financial and other covenants in order to provide us with additional flexibility through these challenging times. Management continues to actively monitor the company's liquidity position with the expectation that we will remain closed for the foreseeable future. Given the dynamic nature of the pandemic, the duration and magnitude of the temporary suspension remains unknown, including the impact of any additional health and safety measures introduced on reopening. Accordingly, the long-term impact on the company's consolidated results of operations, cash flows, financial position cannot be reasonably estimated at this time. The health and safety of our guests and team members is Great Canadian's primary concern during this period and will be a foundational element in our decision-making as we move forward. I would also like to acknowledge the hardship being faced by a significant portion of our workforce who are on temporary suspension. We look forward to the day that we can welcome them back. The remaining Great Canadian team members are working tirelessly to make sure that the company is in the best possible position as we work forward through this period. We are anticipating that the startup and post-launch ramp-up period of our gaming facilities and capital projects under development will be a demanding time for a Great Canadian and are very fortunate to have so many dedicated and hard-working team members, including invaluable oversight from our Board of Directors leading us as we navigate this future. I would like to conclude by reiterating our gratitude for the dedication that our shareholders have shown us during this unprecedented time. We remain committed to working hard and making the best possible decisions to guide the company through this very difficult period. Terrence, we can now invite questions. Thank you. Thanks, Rod. Uh, before we begin today's question and answer session, I would like to remind everyone that questions will be reserved for institutional investors and analysts. I would also like to reiterate the company's investor relations philosophy, which encourages investors and analysts to utilize this public conference call as their principal medium for speaking with great Canadian senior management. Sylvie, we can now go to the Q&A. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you decide to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift your handset before pressing any keys. And your first question will be from George Dumay at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, Rod. Um, Hi, George. Hey, I understand this is probably a tough question to answer, um, but how do you see, I guess, gaming behavior, uh, you know, changes within that of our patrons uh, once the casinos finally do open, um, you know, anecdotally, I, I think about touching chips and um, certain things like that. And maybe talk a little bit about how you see that. And are, are you ultimately worried that we could lose some, some folks to maybe the online offering? Uh, just thoughts around that, please. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm obviously on the inside more than you, but that's a question that I think is a very challenging one for anyone to answer at this point in time. And I think there's uh, the most thoughtful, uh, you know, lens on it at this point in time would be a, a graduated lens over time. 
I think, you know, we're dealing with a scenario that's a compounding of obviously a very, very uh, significant health uh, issue uh, that has uh, some concrete aspects to it and will also have some emotional aspects to it. I think for uh, the foreseeable future, certainly until we have uh, a vaccine in place, I think that will cause all businesses significant challenges, uh, including ours. I think there's other pieces as well to it where, uh, you know, people have changed behavior by not enjoying our experience for some amount of time, uh, as well as the economic challenges that uh, many are going to have with their levels of discretionary dollars. So I think there's a number of factors, you know, the health aspect of it being, I, I think, the predominant one for our particular industry. I think there's no question uh, that there will be an impact, uh, and certainly that impact will uh, be more hard felt in the early days, and I think less so through the evolution of time. Uh, but for me to go and tell you right now, what I think that profile looks like would be frankly reckless uh, in my mind uh, and inappropriate for you to rely on. I, I do think that there are some items that uh, work to our favor and our strengths a little bit as we are faced with a very, very challenged environment today, obviously, but also I think what's going to be a very difficult environment when it's safe and appropriate to open. And, you know, a couple of the themes for those of you that have followed us for a long time, you hear over and over again, it, it, because it's really, it's really what uh, the fabric of our industry is all about, is that, you know, we talk about how we are highly regulated and we talk about compliance. And I think those features, although to a large extent, we try to, uh, hide them from our guests as they go to enjoy an entertainment experience. Those are the foundational elements of our industry. And I think those are the foundational elements that will serve us well as we navigate the reopening of our facilities and the reopening of our construction sites. And, you know, highly regulated are basically code language for we've got a lot of rules. We've got an awful lot of rules. We've got uh, procedures and uh, compliance, we understand fully and 100% through every one of our team members and frankly, virtually through every one of our guests that we need to follow the rules. Uh, otherwise, uh, they will not be allowed to participate in our environment. And so as we talk about those rules in terms of the integrity of gaming, I think that same philosophy and approach and those that rule-based environment and, frankly, boundaries will serve us very well as we reopen and uh, invite guests back into our facilities. And, I, you know, you read certain things, not to digress, where governors are saying businesses mm -hmm. reopened and, you know, guests don't want to wear a mask and therefore saying, well, we can't enforce that, so we don't have to do that. We have mm -hmm. a really special ability in our industry to run the safest environment, I believe, of any restaurant, bar, sporting event, even grocery store experience, pharmacy. We have eyes in the sky, boots on the ground through surveillance and security and procedures and protocols, as well as every one of our team member 
to go and manage the environment in as safe a uh, manner as possible. And our guests know that. And the reality is when people understand what the game plan and rules are, 99% of them abide by it. So I think we'll be able to create uh, a very safe and comforting environment uh, compared to many, many other businesses, let alone entertainment experiences out in the marketplace. And for those very few that, for whatever reason, will not abide by the protocols that will be instituted when we reopen, they will be dealt with with the, the very small uh, 0.1% that don't follow our current rules, and it's called barring people. So, so you know, I think there's going to be lots of challenges. I think we definitely are going to have a ramp-up. I think we will have customers that will not return absolutely. But I also think through all of this and a massive amount of work that we're doing in collaboration and cooperatively with our Crown Partners, we will be setting up an environment that will be safe and appropriate at the, for at the right time to reopen. And I believe our guests will understand and see that and be comforted by it and continue to enjoy uh, the amenities that we offer. But this is not going to be an easy straight line. And I have no expectation that the ramp up is going to be immediate and back to the levels that we saw uh, just a couple of months ago. Oh, that's really Sorry, helpful. Thanks. I, I took a little more <laughs> just to cover off everybody's questions at once. I hope that was okay. <laughs> no, thanks. For that. that was really helpful. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the initiatives the, uh, the BCL, BCLC sorry, is doing to support us maybe operationally or, or financially during these uh, difficult times? Look, I, I don't think it's appropriate for me to get into any details of how we are working collaboratively uh, and cooperatively with any of our stakeholders, uh, whether it's our crowns, our regulators, our banks, our suppliers, our construction trades, I really think that that would be disingenuous. I would tell you, as we have disclosed, and I am, and I am uh, very, very appreciative and grateful, uh, there has been a coming together of all stakeholders that we touch with the realization clearly that this is a very, very difficult period of time, and uh, all of us, including ourselves, are not only thinking of ourselves, we're thinking of the greater good, realizing that we need to think of it from everyone's perspective in order to get through these scenarios. And so, you know, we have contractual relationships, and it would be no surprise that virtually all of our operating agreements did not contemplate uh, extended you know, suspension of operations of our facilities. Uh, and that would have put us offside with all of our agreements other than, uh, it, I think it was Nova Scotia, who had, there's a force majeure specifically relating to this. So it starts with something as simple as, as understanding that and working through that all the way through to some of the other requirements and some of the other items that are not necessarily critically important now, but are are you know their cost centers for accomplishing activities. So there's there's a lot of good work and thinking going on in a collaborative but appropriate fashion with all stakeholders to help the industry work through this period. And look, I've said this many times, and in some respects, if you're a shareholder, it might it might unnerve you. The reality is the bricks and mortar happen to be held within our corporate entity. 
But I think there's a very strong realization, uh, particularly with our crown partners and and our provinces and our local communities, that we all own this business together. This is all of ours. And and it's important, particularly in these extremely challenging times, that we all come to the table and understand that and do what we all can in order to uh, get to a much better future uh, as efficiently and, and as effectively as we can. So there's lots of good stuff that's going on. I could tell you, George, there's a massive, massive amount of work. People are very focused, both within Great Canadian and also at not only the crowns, but the regulators and our banking partners and suppliers and construction trades uh, to do what we all can to uh, put us in the best position as we not only go through this, but come out the other side. Okay, maybe on the last one, maybe I'm tiptoeing a little bit on this question, but uh, I guess it's what we were saying, I guess, is uh, reading between the lines, both BCLC and DLG in whatever structures they have in place, be it, uh, you know, straight or, or thresholds or anything, they do understand that this is probably a multi-year phenomenon and they're willing to be cooperative above and beyond just the period when the casino opens and kind of look out a few years out in terms of being available. No, I didn't say that. And I specifically won't say that. I'm never going to speak for anybody, even if they said anything in particular about a particular item, other than that that we disclosed in writing, would be wholly inappropriate. And this is a process, and it's going to be a multi-week, multi-month, potentially even multi-year process. And, and, And you would be absolutely not reading into what I said properly, uh, if the conclusion was that statement that you made. What I said was right now we're working very cooperatively through many things. We have a great many things yet to work through, many more things yet still to work through than we've already gone and partially tackled here. This is early days, and I don't want to mislead you or be disingenuous to any stakeholder that we may be having conversations with today or down the road as to what our expectations are for or from them, or frankly, from or for us to them at this point in time. So please don't step further than uh, the, the good thoughts and the, and I think the collaborative work that is going on right now. Okay, understood. Thanks, Rod, and uh, good luck during these uh, okay. times. Thank you, George. Appreciate your comments. Thank you. Next question will be from Derek DeLay at Kennecord Genuity. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate um you know, the color that you, you can provide us here. Um, just in terms of your commentary and in, in the way traffic and revenue was tracking, um, you know, up into, you call it the two weeks before the closure or shortly before the closure, can you just put in context the magnitude of how, how you were doing? It seems like things were, were positive and, and, and up year over year in terms of revenue and traffic, both in Ontario and BC. Sure, Derek. So uh, things were up and things were good. Uh, I think if you, when you have an opportunity to read our fine print, uh, you, there's a comment there about uh, the days before the closure of May 16th. So in the days before the closure of May 16th, we saw uh, some accelerating degradation, uh, more concentrated within certain facilities than others. And then obviously we closed on May 16th. If you if you go literally a week earlier than that, uh, I would say from a math perspective, it was 
almost business as usual. And if you interpolate out uh, basically two weeks of full suspension and then some number of days of uh, incremental degradation over some number of days, I think you could see that uh, business was pretty decent before. And if and when you spend a little more time, I think you'll come to realize that business was uh, more decent in Ontario uh, than our other geographies. Now, let let I, I want to because I always uh, I'm the kind of guy that you, you got to call a spade a spade. So uh, I've been doing four. I added up now, and I almost freaked out. So I've been involved with Great Canadian for 46 quarterly conference calls and uh, over those 46 quarters we try to politely play the weather card twice because we don't like to blame other things so uh, and the second time in my 46 quarters was Q1 of last year so the comp for Q1 of last year particularly in Ontario we had some very uh, challenging weather it impacted our business and it compounds when it falls over weekends in particular and we disclose that so i don't want you being left with too much giddiness obviously before the world changed here that things were like rocking along at 4x they were doing well but they were rocking along at 2x not 4x so so you know just to be totally fair and transparent and to help you you know triangulate quarter over quarter a little bit i think you need to temper uh, some of the goodness uh, a little bit from that perspective. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's a good reminder. Um, just in terms of some of your um, construction or expansion projects, Pickering was one um, notably that was slated to, you know, to be at least on the casino portion uh, complete by the end of March, I believe. Um, and I, I'm sure it, it wasn't quite. But how much of that build is is really left? Like, were you guys were you close? Were you on your previous timelines moving into um, you know, COVID and obviously now the, the closure of non-essential construction in Ontario? Yes, so we, we were on our previous timelines, as we had disclosed, uh, and uh, the facility was going to be completed when, uh, uh, when we had said by the end of the quarter. Uh, there was no decision that was ultimately made in terms of the, the mock dates and the launch date and whatnot. So I, I wouldn't want to sit here and say that it was going to 100% guaranteed be open on the 31st. It might have been a you know a few days in terms of the opening, but absolutely it was on track and on budget. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's been shovels down since the 4th, and, uh, you know, things need to obviously start up again in order to consider uh, how that might reopen and in what way and at what point in time. And then in terms of the CapEx that you had sort of earmarked for the year, obviously, you know, we've seen a big slowdown or, um, you know, zero CapEx for the most part in, in during the front part of Q2 here. Should we sort of think of that as, as just pushing out some of these projects a little bit further? Do you, or are you, is your intention to try and make some of that up uh, over 20 the balance of 2020 and 2021. So I think it's premature for for us to say what our plans are uh, at this point in time. I, I think it can be certainly broken down into a number of items. We've obviously uh, had a suspension, 
but we ha- we're working full tilt. So we have uh, a bunch of bills for work that's been done that have to be addressed from a financial perspective. Now we're not actually spending money and moving the projects forward. We will come to a point in time, as you said, when we will have the opportunity in a safe and appropriate fashion to restart all projects, you know, and, and in particular our two major initiatives being uh, both Pickering and Woodbine facilities. Uh, it would be premature for me at this point in time to give you any commentary on when that will happen, whether we would try and accelerate things, whether they would fall back to the same timeline as they were on. I think I think there's just way too many variables still to be understood, including construction site timing, you know, health requirement regula- regulations, uh, you know, capital liquidity, uh, the market, and then I think also on the opening side of things in terms of Pickering as a short-term initiative, you know, looking at the the operating environment in the early days and what we foresee. So I think there's many, many items yet that have to be worked on, as I mentioned earlier, and I apologize that we can't give you more visibility and clarity on that, but if I did, I would be misleading you because we have, I think, a bunch more that we can do, and as time passes, more clarity comes to the table that will help us make better decisions. So anything that I say today would be a very uh, unthoughtful decision and and piece of feedback for you. So I apologize for that. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. And then last one for me, just on the um, the um, service provider fee that you're still going to be receiving um, from the OLG, has, has there been a change in the magnitude or amount of that fee per annum? And can you remind us what that was? No, so those are contractual and they're fixed subject to CPI. So, and, and they have been disclosed in the past. And so I will, uh, I will repeat them uh, now. The, for the and they're on a bundle by bundle basis and this is an annual number so the uh, the GTA is roughly 74 million dollars uh, the West GTA is roughly 44 million dollars and our east bundle is roughly 27 million dollars great that's very helpful thank you Rod. right thank you Derek thank you Next question will be from Sabat Khan at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. All right, thanks, Van. Good morning. Um, some of the clarity you provided around, um, you know, just kind of the ratcheting back of labor and so forth. Can you maybe walk us through the flexibility that you have to sort of unwind that labor and then slowly bring it back? You know, are you able to bring back a portion of employees for certain months? And first, how are you broadly managing your human resources um, for the next few quarters? after sort of the lockdown ends or even during the lockdown sort of either furloughed or how are you dealing with that? Well, look, it's a very, very challenging uh, period of time. Uh, and it's not a happy period of time. And we have a great many team members who are not working right now. And that's extremely challenging for them. And we feel uh, terrible about that. Equally, we have a much smaller number of team members who are working like crazy and stress cases in a whole bunch of other ways, trying uh, with as much uh, passion and determination as they can to get us reopened as soon as possible so that we can, as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, uh, invite back our our remaining team members. It's a very, very difficult period. Um, We've tried to uh, 
balance that out uh, in the best way we can, realizing we have uh, everywhere on the continuum from, you know, 25 bricks and mortar sites dispersed across the country that need to be safe and secure uh, in, in care and maintenance mode, all the way up through to a guy that talks too much like me, making sure that we're doing everything that we can to uh, put the pieces in place to get our business reopened uh, as soon as possible in a safe and appropriate fashion. And that takes quite a few team members. If you think through on-site security, surveillance, even when we're suspended, uh, some operational people, obviously, you know, HR, as much as we have many people who are not actively, uh, uh, you know, at work right now, uh, there's, it's an insanely busy period for our team members there. So it's a very, very difficult period of time. And I don't like to talk about people lightly or in terms of math because these are all our team members. And frankly, people are suffering tremendously through this period of time. I, I do think uh, there will be a, a phased approach as we go and grow our business. You know, it's, we have a variable cost structure, but by and large, we have a very, very heavy fixed cost structure. If our sites are closed, that's one thing. As soon as we open our sites, uh, there's a very, very uh, heavy uh, financial burden on opening a site. Uh, a big part of it is a core group of uh, team members that need to be there when a site is operational. You know how com complicated our business is, how many aspects there are to it. There's obviously an incrementality portion to team members being on site or not as gross gaming revenues grow uh, materially. And that will be more so the case, obviously, on the table side. As you are aware, tables is more labor intensive. But there's a very, very significant chunk of team members that will be welcomed back as soon as we open our doors, which is both, I think, a very good thing. It's also something that we have to be very cognizant of when we open up, that we can do it in a cost-effective fashion uh, and have a business that, uh, from a financial perspective, uh, remains in a solid position. So I think, I think you'll see the cost structure will go up very, very materially uh, from what it is right now in suspension mode, uh, and then there'll be incrementality beyond that as we get traction and grow more revenues. And not to scare you, but I just, uh, you know, 2019, our total P&L costs were a billion, 50 million, 150 million of that was amortization, so non-cash. You know, 2019, call it a full up and running regular year before a Pickering addition, $900 million of annual uh, costs throughout our business. So it's a very substantive number. Uh, and, you know, a, a big part of it is going to uh, kick in as we open facilities. So we have some challenges ahead of us, uh, for sure. And uh, I think I don't want to overly comfort people. The comfort that I can give you is we are extremely sensitized to all of these matters. And uh, that's why we're doing a serious amount of work to make sure that we set ourselves up for the best path forward with the most success and the most financial stability that we can. 
Okay, thanks for that. And then um, just on the commentary you had in your disclosures around the waiver of some uh, covenant-related um, uh, metrics, I guess how should we think about that? Does that is that am I reading that correctly in the sense that covenants are wavered over the near term for some period of time, or did you get some sort of flexibility on that? Can you maybe help us think a little bit through kind of the kind of the capacity you have on that front? Sure. So. Uh... Our banking partners have been supportive and 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 very thoughtful to work with. Uh, so we have received waivers against uh, covenants and some other uh, items that were non-financial covenants in nature for a certain amount of time uh, within all four of our banking arrangements. Okay, and then the uh, so. The project level debt, um, is it fair to assume that stuff doesn't apply toward your calculations? So, uh, you know, each each one is different. Uh, and I think if you – I'm going to take you down a little bit deeper. The GTA uh, we've disclosed does not have financial covenants, but it does have other covenants like continuity of – business operations or continuity of the development program. So it had non-financial covenants. Our remaining uh, facilities all have financial covenants, uh, including the ones that are, quote, you, you call them construction-related. If you, if you were referring to, say, the West GTA, we have financial covenants in there. But the GTA, we do not have financial covenants in there. But we do have other types of covenants in there. As I said, this is continuity type covenants. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, and it, I, it's difficult to answer that with one answer. Okay, that's fair. And then um, just in terms of kind of the cost that you're talking about, um, were you able to apply for or qualify for some of these wage subsidy, uh, subsidy programs from the government, or would um, would your the fixed payments that you're receiving or continuing to receive kind of be an offset so you may not qualify? Have you looked into or qualified for any of those programs? So we've looked into uh, all of the programs in detail. Many of the programs are not necessarily qualifying. They're at the employee level, and we've I think we've done as best job we can in educating our team members and and supporting them, informing them what is available out there through the myriad of uh, government uh, support opportunities. Some of them are also uh, corporate-driven and corporate-based, and we have uh, spent a lot of time looking at all of them. They are very complicated. They have been releasing uh, information for time, which has made it be difficult to land in the early days on anything that makes uh, sense or not. You mentioned a consideration there, whether you could qualify or not. There's a number of other considerations, whether businesses or entities within businesses can qualify for some of these programs or not. Uh, and I can tell you that in some places, we absolutely do not qualify for some of them. Uh, but I really don't want to get into the details of which ones we do or which ones we don't and where we're sitting right now and, frankly, where we might even be going uh, in the time ahead. I don't think that that's the right kind of uh, detail that should be presented publicly. I would leave you with 
uh, hopefully the comfort that we are doing our level best to navigate all aspects of this, including those that may uh, may present opportunities for ourselves and our team members. And if there's a case where it does make sense, we are absolutely, uh, you know, going to or have access to those. Okay, thanks. Just a couple of quick ones for me uh, left. Um, on the kind of the total cost number that you referenced for 2019, you know, I know you mentioned you don't want to get into discussions you're having with your partners and stakeholders, the banks, the lenders, and so, uh, the lenders and the landlords, but can you make a general statement on whether, just directionally speaking, relative to the cost last year, were you able to get some relief in some areas if we turn, think about the costs you might incur over the coming quarters, or should we assume a similar run rate X, the kind of the HR component? So I think our team has done a really, really fantastic job uh, in, as I mentioned, not only on the HR side, but a property marketing and admin. There are a great many costs in addition to HR costs that uh, we've been able to uh, not incur or defer as we've gone into suspension period. Obviously, things like marketing costs, which are uh, big line items for us as well, uh, that, that's been, those initiatives have been, uh, you know, 100% curtailed through the suspension period. And there's a whole host of other items. There are some there are some, I wouldn't want to call them stranded costs, but there are some real costs and they're significant that we need to continue to fund. Um, but they are much, much uh, less material than that total aggregate up and running across the entire system number that I mentioned uh, a short while ago there. Okay, and then um, on the covenants that we talked about earlier, are you able to share what or just how long those covenants are waived for, or is that sort of an ongoing discussion? So I, you know, I think uh, I think we actually have some clarity in our disclosures, uh, but I but I think we should look at it a certain way here, and I think we should look at it this way with all stakeholders, and I think it's more than fair and appropriate. The, the kind of conversations that we're having, frankly, with everybody, but let's talk about the banks for a moment, are uh, months, not years. And, and months, not weeks. And I think it's fair because uh, nobody knows where the environment is going and how much things will change. And I think the right amount of time that's fair and appropriate for stakeholders on both sides of the equation is to have sufficient runway to do lots of good things to get to a better place and a place that's much better known as well in terms of where we're going forward. Uh, because right now we have very little visibility on uh, the particulars of timelines and whatnot. So really, I think you should think in terms of we have flexibility for uh, quite a number of months, not quite a number of weeks, but not quite a number of years. Uh, so I, I think it puts us in a very good place to do a lot of work and stay focused with supportive stakeholders. Uh, and to help develop the plan and get clarity on uh, the reopening timing and strategy and protocols and, and, and all of that that goes along with it. All right, and then just last one for me. Um, I know you mentioned that obviously the reopening process is TBD and there's a lot of uncertainty, but is there, have you had discussions on a date with the government? Because some of the other retailers that we, uh, we talked to who were under closure, um, 
uh, under closure since March. Some of them have started to kind of talk about dates in May and so forth that they're reopening. Are those the type of discussions you're having with the government yet? No, uh, those are not the type of conversations that are being had uh, at this point in time. I think it's, it's, it's too premature for our industry, to be honest. Uh, I would also want to just uh, finesse it a little bit. Those would be the conversations that we would collaboratively be having with our crown partners and obviously relying on health authorities and guidance uh, and direction from our pr provinces. Uh, but the conversations would be uh, had through the Crown Corporation with the government as opposed to when you said us talking to the government. So I just, I didn't want to, I wanted to be clear in terms of the roles that we foresee going forward in managing this. And I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding publicly out there that we were having direct conversations with any of the governments or provinces. No, for sure. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Abad. Thank you. Next question will be from Simon Chu at Roulette Associates. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for, for taking my Thanks. questions. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, just uh, one question. Uh, are, do you see any opportunities uh, in terms of other Ontario bundle operators that might not have the liquidity or the balance sheet that you have right now? Is there any potential for, for some opportunities or M&A uh, when we come, up, come out of this? So, Simon, you know, I, I, I think coming out of this is uh, absolutely the lowest thing on our priority in terms of other opportunities. We are very mm -hmm. focused right now on our business at hand uh, and what we need to accomplish. This is uh, – I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to have been in business for 35 years. Uh, this is by far the most challenging period I've ever been through, bar none. And we need all of our resources focused on our business and setting ourselves up for the most success we possibly can uh, going forward. So that is our singular focus right now. Anything beyond that in terms of M&A opportunities in Ontario or, anybody, or anywhere else in the world uh, is not on our radar screen at this point in time. Got it. I uh, appreciate the, uh, the clarity on that. Uh, and then just a housekeeping question. Uh, were there any uh, revenue for permitted CapEx in, in Q1 in Ontario? So uh, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, our, the, the Ontario bundles have the permitted capital expenditure uh, revenue item. And as we've disclosed over the past three years, that is an item that uh, hits our revenues and also our balance sheet uh, in the second quarter of our second quarter of every year. So in Q2 is when we will see the full benefit of the permitted capital expenditures or PCE as we call it in relation to our three Ontario bundles. And then uh, how, how material would that be this year versus so like the number last year? So it just goes up by a little pitch, uh, and it's roughly $24 million this year in totality between the three bundles. This year, okay. So we should expect to see that uh, next quarter. Yes, yeah, so in Q2, okay. that's mm -hmm. going to 
thankfully uh, help us partially offset our our what's going to be our our operating cash flow burn rate. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Thanks very much. Uh, that, that's all my questions. Okay. You're welcome, Simon. Thank you. Next will be David McFadden at Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. So hi, um, a couple of questions. Um, hi, David. Hi, how's it going? Not bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I just just following up on that last question. You know, you talked about the PCE revenue helping to um, offset the operating cash burn. Could, could assuming, let's say, the operations remain closed for the entire Q2. Can you tell us what the operating cash cost would be uh, in the quarter, just to help us model it? So if I do this, what what are you going to do for me? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> I don't want anything from you. So look, uh, I've thought long and hard about how much visibility to give all of you in Q2, realizing that whatever I say will 100% be wrong and will also change extremely materially as our environment changes and construction and or reopening uh, initiatives start to gain traction. So it's a very, very misleading analysis and you guys shouldn't hold me to it, but I am prepared to walk you through a little bit of that since you've asked and nobody else did, but I want to earn points with you on it too. So uh, here it goes. And again, huge caveats that it will be wrong. And this is, and this is neither accounting or cash flow. It's a bastardization of both of them. So it's, it's, it's not going to show up anywhere at the end of Q2, but if you did make an assumption that, we stayed more or less as we are right now through Q2. The roughest numbers we have will be uh, a cash outflow of $132 million in total made up of uh, our development program obviously was well underway. And as we talked about with Derek, how uh, Pickering was getting very close, so we had very big payables there. So we have $77 million of that is uh, construction payables that we're dealing with right now and paying. We have, and this is going to be a lumpy number because of uh, debenture interest that uh, is not every quarter and even some of our other facilities because depending on how long our BAs are for, there's lumpiness and pain. But if you look at our now new leverage level of roughly $1.5 billion, we have roughly $15 million of cash expense a quarter. So that's $15 million. And our reasonably best estimate for our operating loss, after factoring in the $24 million of PCE benefit, which obviously is a benefit for this quarter only, is about $40 million for the quarter. So that's $132 million negative cash. Now we have some financing initiatives as well as uh, cash outflow that are going to uh, look after that number. I would remind you that 
since March 31, the overallotment of the debenture issue brought in another $9 million gross. So we have $9 million there that we can put toward the $132 million outflow. We have uh, uh, both construction debt at the GTA partnership level and the West GTA level that should be able to fund another $53 million of that $132 million, uh, which means we have a total, uh, I think, financing ability of $62 million. The next point is, you know, an unwinding of working capital. Obviously, when you're going along and you have a regular business, your working capital stays within a certain level because, you know, old payables get paid and new ones replace it unless the business is growing materially or declining. Obviously, when the business suspends, you have uh, a more wholesome unwinding of non-cash working capital. Um, and so we've looked obviously very closely at our receivables and our payables. And uh, we have another fortunate event this Q2 uh, along the lines of the PC, but from a different perspective. And I don't want to get into too much detail, but our operating agreements in our three Ontario bundles have uh, a, a holdback over the course of the fiscal year of a certain amount of our revenues that uh, becomes a receivable for us that gets paid once uh, the financials are finally determined in Q2 of every year. And that's a fairly substantial number. That number basically offsetting uh, other payables that we need to pay results in uh, a net working capital improvement of our cash balance of $15 million in Q2. So of that $132 million of cash that we're going to spend in Q2, $15 million of it is going to be looked after uh, by an unwinding of our working capital, which is great, which leaves us with uh, roughly uh, a cash depletion in Q2, all else being equal, staying as we more or less are now in full suspension of $55 million in Q2. So it's a very significant number. And obviously we're also increasing our debt by 62 million. So from a shareholder value perspective, it's 55 million or a dollar a share out and it's more than a dollar a share in incremental debt that we're going to suffer as we, if we were to remain in suspension in current mode through Q2 now. So it's pretty painful. We're very focused on it. We're trying to manage things as intelligently as we can, uh, realizing that it's a very difficult you know, situation. We have a great many assets uh, that were stopped uh, like dead in their tracks, and it's a, it's a difficult position to be in. But, you know, so that's a very detailed uh, picture of Q2, assuming things stay as they stay currently. Obviously, if uh, – we start to work on the future a little more heavily, then that's going to obviously have an impact here uh, on these numbers. David, you owe me big time now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, no, it's very helpful. You're welcome. Um, uh, that $40 million a quarter net of the PC revenue, that's net of those fixed fees, right? Correct. Right. That's, okay. That's, so that's, yes, that's, that's, 
and that's also we get a little bit of rent on one of our. So there's some other there's some other incidentals in there in terms of revenues, but yes, that's that's net of everything. Okay, and then if I can just go into the revenue threshold. So you disclosed in your MD&A that uh, while you're while you ceased operations, you won't be paying any any of the revenue threshold, and that as you start up operations again, it's gonna it's gonna gradually increase. And I was wondering if you could, I don't know, provide any sort of color on how that might gradually increase. Like, is it going to go back to what it was over two years, six months? Any any help there that would we could use I the model? I can provide you. I can provide you no color. I can also. I will say one thing that just so that you you understand where we are in this process. We have not even had our first conversation with our OLG stakeholder partner in that respect. We are still totally focused on matters that need to be addressed long before we can even get to that. So I cannot give you any color as we have not even started uh, any conversations uh, in that respect at this point in time. Okay. And then I don't know if you saw, um, but Nevada put out um, last Friday some guidelines on reopening, and they're talking about reducing the gaming capacity at least temporarily by 50%, reducing the number of positions in the tables probably by 50%, um, and, and, and other things. I don't know if you've looked at those. I was just wondering what your, how you think, how you think Ontario and BC and so on might might uh, have some guidelines for when you reopen. Any any thoughts on that, or it's just too early? So we've looked at all guidelines that have been put out. We've we've I've even wasted my time listening to crazy mayors and stuff like that too. Uh, look, the health and safety of our team members and our guests and our communities is paramount, and and it it's our first priority, and. I say that not just to be altruistic. I say that being a capitalist mercenary, our, our long-term interest and value creation totally rests on making sure we are at our very best in the early days here in all respects, including having a, a, a safe and appropriate environment. We're going to do whatever it takes in order to accomplish that. If we don't do that, uh, we could be... Uh, forever damaging what is, I think, a, an absolutely tremendous and unique franchise. So, so it, I think there are a great, great, great many strategies and protocols and procedures that our team is working uh, very thoughtfully in collaboration with our crown partners on what all of those look like and how they might come together and at what point in time to drive an appropriate and safe environment uh, when we can reopen. And some of those items that you mentioned would absolutely be up for consideration as as potential appropriate strategies and protocols and procedures to have at certain points in time as if, in, you know, when when we reopen. But I, I don't think it, it, it's, I think it's a waste of all of our time for you and I to start talking about uh, capacity, how many people at a table and for how long, plexiglass or not, you know, how far apart lines should be on the floor or stars, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's there's a great amount of technology that's being developed out there right now 
not only through businesses that are closed, but for those essential businesses that are open. I think there's lots of learnings. I think there's lots of learnings also on what's more safe and less safe. As I said, I think we have really tremendous DNA in our highly regulated environment and our compliance focus to be able to execute better than, than virtually every other industry out there in terms of these strategies to keep our team members and our guests safe. And we're very focused on creating that environment. So it, it could include those things that you mentioned. It could include a whole bunch of other things. But I don't think at this point in time uh, it, I can give you any particular visibility on anything in particular. Okay. Um, any idea when uh, the construction would resume? Because uh, I think in Ontario they're allowing construction to resume again. I was just any thoughts on that for you? So, no, we have no visibility on that. Yes, I think there was uh, earthworks. So, you know, guys and machines moving dirt around. Uh, there was there was an announcement that that would be coming back online. So, you know, I think, look, governments are trying to do things in a safe and appropriate fashion. Uh, and, you know, whether things accelerate or whether things slow down or pause or whether they stay at a certain phase, uh, you know, your assessment would be just as thoughtful as mine. Obviously, watching closely, and we're very supportive of whatever our provincial governments deem to be safe and appropriate for our communities, uh, and we're going to follow along in an appropriate fashion from the guidance that were given by those authorities. But at this point in time, it would be premature for me to make any assessment on what I think our timing is in any of these respects. Okay. If we could, like, just hypothetically, if let's say um, uh, casinos are allowed to open, say, in a month, it's all hypothetical. Um, how long do you think it would take for Pickering to open up? Because it sounds like you were pretty close to opening if this uh, virus didn't hit. So I have, I'm not going to comment on when any particular facility would open or not, including and especially Pickering. The only comment that I would make in terms of opening, uh, whenever we decide that we have a firm opening, that we have a go, we have an inordinate amount of work in order to bring people back, to get everything organized, to actually open the doors. And we would be looking at three weeks to a month from a, a definitive let's open date until we can actually open. So it, that's not going to help you with when things are going to open. That's just going to help you that there is a an interim gestation at a minimum once a, a, a date is known that it's going to take a certain amount of time after that known date in order to actually physically open our properties. Okay. Um and given the construction sort of on hold for Woodbine, um, in the past, you know, your target was to have this redeveloped in Q1 2022. Do you think for modeling purposes, we should just assume that it's going to open, you know, a year later or, you know, early January 2023, just to, we should just take that approach? Any any thoughts there? You know, I don't have any, I don't have any thoughts for you. Uh Obviously, if we're closed for a very material period of time, it becomes more challenging to hit 
historical deadlines if you've lost very material chunks of time. I think that's just a truism. Sometimes things can be done to accelerate projects, but there's only so much that can be done. There's also a cost element to acceleration or extreme acceleration. So there's a great many dynamics from which uh, it's, it's so uncertain. I, I, I cannot tell you how to model, uh, but if we have a long passage of time here, then I think it's natural that you would uh, think about losing at least some amount of that time in terms of the development profile. Okay, and then just um, earlier on the call, um, you know, there was some discussion about how the business was doing. It was doing fairly well up until this virus hit. Um, can you give us uh, sort of an indication how much the revenue is up on a percentage basis up until the time in the quarter before the virus hit? I don't know if you can provide that, but it would be helpful. Honestly, I don't actually have it on my fingertips right now. But And I think, as I said, uh, the business was up principally in Ontario, which was a good thing. But I also wanted to temper it because our comp was quite uh quite low last year so it, you know it was a decent percentage in ontario not so in our other jurisdictions but uh some of that percentage increase was not earned not organic it was because of our low comp base in in our view so but i, I don't have the numbers right now and, and so i i can't give it to you okay all right uh that's it for me thank you you're welcome david Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchdown phone. And your next question will be from Chris Colvin at Breach and Lift Capital. Please go ahead. Hey, Rod. Uh, thanks for the color. You answered most of my questions, but I, I uh, just want to clarify. On the second quarter, you said there'd be a cash outflow of $132 million, and then I thought you said you would have to net that against 15 million, but but you arrived at a net number of 55. So so what am I missing? There's 132 million dollars gross. How did you get to 55 net? So 132 million gross. We're hopeful that we're going to finance 62 million of that with leverage. So we're going to increase leverage by 62 million. We're going to liquefy net working capital to the tune of $15 million. So we're going to actually generate $15 million out of net working capital unwind in Q2. And then the residual is $55 million should be funded and drawn out of our existing cash balances as at March 31. Got it. Okay. That's, that's all I had. I appreciate the color. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. Next question is from Sunjay Sin at Bloomberg. Please go ahead. Uh, hey, Rod. Um, all of my questions were wow, answered. Wow, I've never, I've never heard you on a call, Sanjay. Well, I, I know it's um, and maybe it'll be another ten years when you do. But you know, all those guys, they had all the great questions, and you, I'm, I'm stunned too at uh, the amount of detail you have given, um, and uh, the warmth between you and everybody has been stunning to see. So thanks for everything. Thank you for coming. <laughs> now, what's your question? Uh, they were all done. Um, but you, you did a great job, like, 
qualitatively talking about, you know, the, the nature of costs that you were keeping and taking out, and then, as you said, just just giving people a, a stab at uh, the quantitative side of uh, what the cost, the cash burn, and what you were going to use from working cap, and and um, so yeah, it was. Those are all my questions, really. It was just like, um, you know, w what's your cost structure at right now? But you did that. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for calling in. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And at this time, Mr. Doyle, we have no other questions, so please proceed. Thanks, Sylvie. And thanks, everyone, for your participation in this morning's call. Before we conclude, I would like to remind listeners that forward-looking statements were made during this call. For those who joined Midway, I encourage you to listen to the replay of this call to hear my earlier comments regarding these forward-looking statements. This re replay will be available through the investor relations sections of our website at www.gcgaming.com. This now concludes our call. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Doyle. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.